welcome to the Mobile Dev Memo Podcast. I am your host, Eric Sufer. My guest on the podcast today is Maurer Sadra, an ad tech veteran and the CEO and founder of Incremental, an incrementality testing platform for mobile advertisers. Maurer is returning to the podcast for the third time, which, as far as I know, is a first. I've known Maurer for quite some time and respect him tremendously. The topic of this episode of the podcast is probabilistic attribution, one variant of which is fingerprinting. Maurer and I talk about the mechanics behind probabilistic attribution, why probabilistic attribution is mostly detrimental to advertisers, and why bad incentives drive mobile advertisers to accept the practice of probabilistic attribution. We also talk about the differences between incrementality measurement and media mix modeling, Facebook's emphasis on its own media mix model product, Robin, and where mobile advertising budgets are flowing in the wake of Apple's ATT privacy policy. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy this podcast with Maurer Sadra. Maurer, how are you? I'm good, Harry. How are you? I'm very well. You are, this is the third podcast you'll have done for Mobile Dev Memo, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's incredible, by the way. Like the, you know, the first one we did a year ago was just before everything was happening. And it's like all our, all of our predictions came to uh, reality. It's, uh, we should be bidding on futures. Yeah, yeah. We should, we should charge for these. Um, <laughs> Can let's let's do a quick quick update on you. How are you? How are things going with Incremental? So uh, you've been at Incremental. You've been doing Incremental for what, like eighteen months? Uh, yeah, something like that. And uh, yeah, I think uh, you know every time I speak with an app developer or anyone doing any advertising on mobile, we seem to be the only lucky people and people who are quite happy about Apple's announcement, um, mainly because, again, he had absolutely no difference on what we were doing. But uh, yeah, we were pretty much the, the happy ones. And it's uh, really good to see now, you know, the world is kind of like split. There's actually it's split into three buckets. There's there's the people who, you know, do pretty much everything right and prepared and so on. Within that group, there are those who pop the consent screen and those who decided, fuck it, we don't want to lose any traction. So we're not popping it. We are 100% relying on SK Ad Network for attribution. And then there's the other bucket, which is really clinging to fingerprinting and hoping that, uh, you know, this will last for, well, at least as much as they can. Well, that's, that's what... Um... That's what I wanted to talk to you about today is that is that last bucket, right? So walk us through what fingerprinting is, or, or I think I don't want to go too lightweight. Yeah. Um, but, but let's talk about like, where would you draw the line, you personally? Or let's, let's say not you personally, let's say hypothetical like marketing guy who, or marketing person who knows the space really well, understands the, the sort of technical aspects of of, of doing identity and, and of, of gathering this kind of data and how it sort of feeds into the feedback loop and, and, and ad targeting and measurement. How would that hypothetical person draw the line or, or, or strike a distinction between fingerprinting and probabilistic attribution? Oh, fingerprinting is probabilistic attribution. And I think that the fact that for some reason our industry decided to name this thing fingerprinting, fingerprinting alludes to a match. Like uh, just, just imagine like the criminal system. If the criminal system used fingerprinting as attribution does, then there would be a lot of innocent people in prisons. Um, <laughs> it's a uh, fingerprinting, you know, like kind of expects an almost exact match. Uh, fingerprinting in today's world, uh, but it's like a, a, for sure it's probabilistic. Um, 
what's the actual uh, success rate there? What's the match rate there? No one knows because no one's really exposing that. So I, yeah, but I would say again, if you are a marketer and you've been used to attribution in a certain way and you can still pull off attribution, why not? It's like, it's not, attribution is not bad. It's a, and fingerprinting is not bad. If it gives you a picture and helps you do some kind of optimization in real time, why not? But so I, I want to hang here for a second because I, so, okay, these companies are doing probabilistic attribution. Like put aside the stigma of the word fingerprinting. It's just probabilistic attribution. What about yeah. this is really probabilistic? Because I don't think there's any sort of like, there's no, I don't think there's like a probability model being deployed here. Is well, there... depending on what, no, it depends on what data you actually have. So take iOS now uh, 15 with private relay and VPN stuff and so on. Like, to do probabilistic attribution there means that you're taking signals like, you know, the device type, uh, battery sometimes, if you can actually access that, you're looking at the time of day, you're trying to triangulate and say, well, we think that this dude is the dude that downloaded this app and it's the same dude that clicked on that ad. So that's basically the gist of probabilistic. Now, when you have a lot more data, like when you have the IP address, the full IP address, when you have location data, when you add everything else, you, you could claim that you're reaching a very high probability. When you strip away some of these uh, values, then your probability becomes lower and lower and lower. Now, we, you know, we think about it often from the attribution side, um, from the advertiser or app developer side, but when we are seeing now all these networks uh, that are very, very successful in the stock market, they're basically enjoying what Facebook is not doing, uh, as an example. So you've seen it now with networks that are basically relying on uh, fingerprinting attribution or probabilistic attribution. They're attributing a lot more. And advertisers now, those who are counting on SKN network, they're seeing a very distorted reality. They're seeing a very distorted picture of reality. Like we've seen cases where SKN network versus ad spend on Facebook is showing like CPIs of 300 bucks, 400 bucks. And it's not the case for some other networks which are still pulling off fingerprinting attribution. Mm -hmm. But just, just I, I mean, I don't wanna beat this to death, but I, 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 I just, I guess I take issue with this idea of calling it probabilistic, right? Because to my mind, when you say something's probabilistic, that means that there is some sort of model, right? That, you know, was built by a data scientist that takes all these features into account and comes up with some sort of like probability score, right? And, and, and so that's a lot different than saying, hey, we matched these three features of the device. Therefore, we're claiming this as an attribution. Like the, when I think about a prob probabilistically attributing something, is saying, okay, we're gonna take all these features into account, push them through the model, and we're gonna come out with, the, we're, it, the model will produce a probability score, right? With some level of confidence, right? And and based on whatever the score is, given some confidence interval, we're going to claim this or not. Versus what I think the ad tech companies that are doing probabilistic attribution are doing is saying, okay, we have three features that we're polling from the device. And if we match all three in the SDK, compared to the click, then we're claiming that. That's not probabilistic. That's just saying we, we think it's probably the same person, but there's no probability model there, right? But but again, so think of think of from the attribution side, um, like we keep thinking of last touch as if that's the ultimate click that or impression that will win the conversion, that will win the claim. But um, 
if let's say you have the same user, five ad views, two clicks, one of them with IP, one of them without, there is going to be some factoring there and the attribution will have a model that decides I'm going to award this click rather than that click. So I would say that this is, I don't know if, yeah, I would call it still probabilistic because you're still kind of guesstimating who's going to win this conversion. Who are you going to attribute as they generated this conversion? Okay, but you think that, like, I guess I, I'm, I'm more hammering on the semantics here, but you think there was like a data scientist that designed that model and it's not just a simple if statement? It might be a simple if statement. It it also might be something that some like, so you say data science, I would think some developer or product person that made a decision right. somewhere. Right. And this is how things are right now. Got it. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. And, and let's talk. So I want to talk about, so here's what I'm seeing happening with fingerprinting, right? And you know, I had Alex Bauer uh, from Branch on on the podcast. I did this series, uh, ATT, one month in, and and he made the point, which is a good one, that what's nice about fingerprinting for or probabilistic attribution for the companies that do it or the companies that utilize it to to claim attributions is that you'll basically always be able to find something to claim, right? Yeah. It, it so you know, there's 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 it's going to be like very infrequent that the 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 model or whatever, the sequence of if-else statements comes back empty and says, nope, sorry, you can't claim that, right? Like, you're always going to find a match for the click. Now, you know, whether that's the actual person that did the click or not is kind of irrelevant from the standpoint of the probabilistic attribution mechanism. You just, you're always going to, it's always going to come back with a match. Hey, you know, what do you know? We always seem to find the person that clicked. And you know, what that's doing, I think, is right. So first of all, if you're using that, you can just kind of ignore SKAD network data because it's, it's, it's going to be, uh, it, it's, it's, it's going to be totally incongruous with the, the data you're getting from all the ad networks, right? Um, but second, I mean, that's just going to claim a lot of organics, right? That's just going to find a lot of organics to attribute the clicks to. And what I'm seeing is that, you know, a lot of companies are just seeing like, you know, if they look at their dashboard over the last six months, the share of organic dropped to like almost zero, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm actually seeing the opposite. I'm seeing a lot more organics. But again, it really depends on, like, you know, is incremental representing the whole industry? Probably not. I guess that the companies who arrive to us are those who are pretty much understanding that hmm, there's like attribution is not answering the full measurement problem. Right. Maybe I need more. So I, I'm actually seeing the opposite. I'm seeing that organics are going up, but it's not going up at the expense of the networks. It's going up at the expense of the self-attributing right. platforms. So right, right, right. Yeah, Facebook, Google, TikTok, and so on. Those are basically losing out share of conversions and the CPIs look horrific. Yeah. Um, Apple search ads, of course, is having a time of their lives. All the networks yeah. are pretty much looking great. And the less sophisticated buyers are basically reading into this as the Bible and they're shifting budgets to the yeah. platforms where CPIs look better, even if it's the wrong thing to do. Right. Um, so I, I would say right now, again, I, I, I think we are seeing the chaos period that we were kind of expecting to. I think things will get even out when either Apple starts enforcing the whole policy ruling about fingerprinting. Um, yeah, that's pretty much what I think will happen eventually. Well, I think, I think 
but I think we're kind of saying, I think we're, we're saying the same thing. It's just that, you know, from your, your, you would see higher proportion of organics with, with, uh, with an incrementality measurement approach. Right. I think where I'm seeing the organics deteriorate is when people are trying to like, hang on to this idea of deterministic attribution oh, yeah. and they're, and, yeah, yeah. and they're pulling, they're pulling data in from the networks. Right. If you had an, if you had sort of like a holistic incremental, you know, approach, then the, yeah, you would see a, a bigger proportion of organics because Facebook is losing out on being able to claim those installs, right? And there's just nothing they can do about that versus yeah. the networks that are claiming more, right? But but you're not measuring that. But but from the standpoint of like, when, when people have, you know, because I've seen companies that have tried to basically maintain the status quo. Like they haven't, they, they didn't want to adapt. Right. And so all their machinery stays the same and all of their reporting stays the same. And they're just sort of taking the word of their advertising partners. Well, then when you do that, they're, uh, these, these advertising partners that are doing fingerprinting are just going to claim all the organics, right? Because they're going to find a match. They'll always find a match for the click. Yeah. Um, and so for that reason, when you just sort of ingest their data and say, okay, well, this is our marketing data. Um, and to sort of like uncritically accept that as true, then you're going to see organics deteriorate to zero because it's a, it's a feeding frenzy. These networks are just claiming all the organics, right? Yeah. Um, it, so I think, you know, that's, and, and then again, like if you do that, you have to basically just throw out the SK ad network data because it's gonna look, it's gonna be absolutely out of alignment with what you're yeah. getting from the networks. Yeah, you cannot really deduplicate it because, you know, it's like you see, you see, I don't know if you've seen how it's looking like on the attribution solutions, like when it comes to SKN network versus what is attributed by the MMP. Like if you ask them, hey, how, how should we consider this? Should we subtract it? Should we add it? They, they just say, mm hmm. So there is no uh, <laughs> there is no real explanation on how, and I think we we know this. Like you cannot really deduplicate between right. what you get on SKN network versus what is attributed by the MMPs. I think that the interestingly enough, it's like pick a side. It's like those who are clinging to uh, fingerprinting, fine, cling to fingerprinting, ignore SKN network. There are there is the bucket of the customers who or advertisers, developers, whoever you want to call them, who just said, you know what. Fuck it, I'm only counting on SKN network. I know it's not great. I know it's aggregated. I know many of my conversions end up as organics, even though I paid for them, but it's cleaner and now I work with this. Yeah, and I think, you know, there's something else um, that that contributes to this, uh, to, to this sort of, you know, uh, all in on SKN network or, you know, kind of just try to, 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 to not relax my grip on the status quo dynamic, which is just like a broken incentive structure for, for marketing teams, yeah. right? Because if you're like not a decision maker on a UA team, at the end of the day, you don't really care that much that you, you know some of these organics are being cannibalized by the ad networks that are doing probabilistic attribution but, but you can you can point to these numbers and you say, look, you, you can make people feel comfortable. You can make people feel confident in your work because you can point to the numbers and say, look, the numbers, the CPI is X. That's got to be profitable. Like we know we and then we, you know, it, you know what I mean? Like there, there's just this sort of false sense of security that you would you you want to inculcate in your higher ups because that makes you look good right now. If you're the CFO, 
you want to go by the, the SK ad network data because that's reliable. You know, it is, you know, that these ad networks are fudging the numbers or just claim like, like they're, they're, they're overzealously claiming attributions. And, you know, you're sort of charged with the, the kind of financial health of the company. But if you're just like, you know, UA manager, a, you don't really care that much. Right. And like that, that sort of that, that kind of nexus of responsibility is like three levels above you. And you're just trying to sort of, you, you just, you want to be able to point to the work you're doing um, incredibly claim that it's profitable for the company. Right. And there's like that the, disconnect there. Look, the analogy I used like a year ago in our podcast was that in a way attribution is like having a football team where you only pay the person scoring the goal. I still see it. I still see a lot of like customer of ours that basically say, well, I just want more strikers. And it's like, dude, it doesn't really work just like that. Interestingly yeah. enough, like two weeks ago, I met someone who used to be global head of UA for Netflix. And I didn't know, I didn't know he used to work for Netflix before. And I was talking to him about, you know, the whole spiel about incrementality and so on. And as explaining, it's like, you know, last attribution, it's, it's not that it's bad. It's close to real time, which is great, but to make your marketing decision based on it, it's a little bit of error. And he said, I completely understand. And he said, I don't allow my team to make decisions based on correlation data. And then basically explained that this whole thing came from Netflix. Netflix doesn't use like correlation data to make their decision, allow them to be better than everybody because they challenge things like search. Yeah. Um, you know, search on the one hand, like you're targeting intent. On the other hand, you are targeting intent. So obviously you're going to have right. quite a lot of redundant spend there. Um, yeah. yeah, but I, I do see it. I do see companies who are still clinging to, oh, well, I'm having like low CPI here and great ROAS, right. not right. not getting that, hey, you're paying for something you were getting for free. Right. Hence, low CPI, great ROAS. Right, 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 right. Yeah, exactly. And that's, I mean, that's ultimately the problem. And that's why, you know, because if you if you take away this ability to do fingerprinting, right, like let's say that Apple just starts policing it, which I, we can get into that in a second, the politics of that. But let's say you just take that away. A lot of UA managers are going to be upset about it because that takes away their, that that credible that credibility of saying, look, no, low CPI, like that, that forces that adap that adaptation. That's going to be very difficult. Right. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, when you have to rewire all of your measurement, that's a big undertaking. Right. And then, you know, hey, who knows? Maybe you don't want to actually uh, inform your boss that, uh, well, actually, when we transitioned over to like this more holistic approach, just like sort of like pro this real probabilistic approach using like incrementality testing that, well, we were wasting a lot of money before. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no one ever wants to look bad and no one wants to do that. And I think as long as uh, like companies or those specific UA people, as long as they have an alternative with SDK networks or whatever other types of networks, people will shift their budget it's there as well. Let's talk about fingerprinting for a second because um, I feel like I've been totally wrong about this from the very beginning. So Apple made it clear, no fingerprinting, right? It, and then they just looked the other way. And, you know, there was this, this, kind of whisper campaign going around prior to ATT to, Hey, I heard from my Apple rep or, you know, had beers with my Apple rep and they said, we're going to have a grace period. You know, we can't just all of a sudden force companies to like, you know, completely re-architect their measurement, but you know, the grace period will be X. It'll be a month, three months, blah, blah. Well, now, you know, we're whatever, uh, you know, we're it's, it's November. So we're like, you know, what, six and a half months out of, out of, 
iOS 14.5 and, and there's no sign that Apple is ever going to police mm. this. And I'm just wondering, like, what do you think? Because, you know, I, you know, I've made the point that, and I wrote a piece about this a couple of weeks ago, like why I think it's called, why isn't Apple pleasing fingerprinting? And yeah. I made the point that like, well, it's just, it'd be, it'd be clunky to do it via the app update, you know, mechanism. And it's just a lot cleaner to do it with private relay. But, you know, I've talked to a lot of people and, and about this and, and, you know, people that are much more technical than I am. And, and what they say is like, look, how could Apple possibly run all of in-app traffic? So right now, unencrypted in-app traffic does run through private relay, but encrypted doesn't. And the vast majority of traffic that runs through yeah. apps is encrypted. But what people have told me and, and very technical people, like it would be, you know, prohibitively expensive for Apple to run all of that traffic through private relay. Um, they, you know, it would just, it would cost so much money. There's just, there's just very little, uh, and, and, and there'd have to be like a, a, a kind of substantial business reason to do that. Well, this is just, you know, purely like a, a, a consumer centric product feature. It's not going to make them any money. I don't think people are going to upgrade to, to iCloud plus just for this. So, so will that ever happen? Cause I mean, having, you know, a bunch of really smart people tell me it seems unrealistic. I'm starting to believe that maybe they'll just never do it. The policing part, I never believe they would do. I think at most what might happen is uh, they might kick off an SDK or two. They've done it in the past. Um, I think that articles, public articles do not help this cause. Um, I think that, again, companies who are activating fingerprinting by now, hopefully they're doing it consciously. You know what? If your strategy is going a little bit above, like beyond the bounds of someone else's restrictions, specifically the platform you survive on, I hope you're doing it consciously. You know, you know, taking the business risk, it's fine. It's just a, um, it could happen. I think that's kind of like the probably ultimately what will happen. Um, but again, I think you and I would agree that regardless of if fingerprinting or probabilistic is happening or not. It's not as if attribution is a great signal to uh, incrementality. Like we've seen right. it, you know, we've seen it numerous times. So, um, yeah, I would say time will tell. We're not pressured. We're fine. Um, yeah, search term for key for uh, search search term incrementality grew a thousand percent in the last six months. By the way, really? Wow. Yeah. So it's becoming more popular. Well, that's. I think that that ultimately is what probably. Uh, upsets this this or disrupts this kind of fingerprinting centric measurement paradigm anyway it's just people recognizing like we are losing money like this this allowed us to not have to um you know completely scrap our our because i i think the biggest issue here is like yeah the, the measurement the measurement um approach is important but ultimately like and again i'm going back to the broken incentives um problem you know, ultimately, like what what people are trying to preserve is their reporting. It's what they show to their execs, right? And like with fingerprinting, you don't have to change a thing. Everything yeah. stays exactly the same. My spreadsheet that I present to my boss every week and the PowerPoint <laughs> deck that he presents to his boss every month, that all stays exactly the same. I don't have to change it right now. You know, there's just a there's there's there's, you know, there's going to be resistance to that kind of change. But at some point it breaks. Right. Because at some point you're just losing money and someone will come in and say, hey, I've got an idea. If we measured things this way, if we used an incremental approach, um, we'd probably save a lot of money. And that person gets promoted and then he's in charge or she's in charge. And 
and and and that rewiring process happens. People didn't want to do that. People didn't want to be forced to do that, and they didn't want to have to do that on short notice. But they will do it over time. At some point, that'll yeah. happen. Yeah, I agree. Look, it's like the gaming UA were always the pioneers in kind of like getting everything and understanding everything, and they took it away to the non-gaming verticals. And you kind of see yeah. it. It's uh, like. Um, trickle-down approach of uh, knowledge and education. Right now, yeah. you know, maybe 5% get it, but it grows and grows and grows because these people spread their wings and switch to different companies and they come in and they basically challenge everything that was there and they don't care about the old format of the Excel or the old format of the deck. They right, know exactly right. what they're looking for because they also know that they can actually gain a lot of credit in their new job by showing, hey, these guys used to do everything wrong. I'm you. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The last bozo was costing you 10 million a year. <laughs> exactly. You know, look, like, yeah. I, you know, I changed the measurement approach and, and I'm saving us so much money. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, I want to talk about Facebook and Robin. Yeah. So, you know, they just, just for background, um, you know, they, they open sourced this uh, media mix model, I think like a year ago or maybe even more. Um, I have a buddy who worked at Facebook and knew the guy that built it. Um, you know, apparently it was like a skunk works project uh, that he sort of pitched to his boss or whatever and got, was given the, the opportunity to like build it out. And then they open sourced it. It was just sort of sitting on the shelf for a long time. And in the last couple months, they've really started pushing the adoption. So they've kind of sold this as like an, a measurement solution that, you know, you should integrate into your, into your uh, data environment um, to, to do, to, to sort of provide that kind of holistic view. Um, and they've had webinars for gaming clients, webinars for non-gaming clients that they're, they're, they're sort of like aggressively pushing this. Um, you put together a really great chart that kind of, um, that that sort of spelled out the distinction between like a media mix model approach, uh, an incremental approach, and a deterministic approach. So I just thought it would be this would be a cool opportunity for you to kind of like just walk us through those three those three different approaches because they are very like fund they're they're each very fundamentally unique um, and they each have kind of like benefits and, and drawbacks. So I just thought it'd be interesting to hear from you what what you think those are. Yeah, yeah. Actually, so I have a lot to say about this, but. I don't really know where to start. So maybe let's actually start from the Facebook part. So so just for anyone listening, Facebook's Robin is not a product per se. It's an R package. Uh, it's like someone giving you a blueprint for a house and telling you, good luck building this. It's uh, uh, Facebook's interest has always been when it comes to a new approach and so on to create an API, let the market build tools for it. And then Facebook builds a better tool than everybody look at what happened to PMDs or FMPs or, or however you want to call it. Um, so like, Facebook basically put out uh, Robin as an R package. It's something that only data science can work with. You cannot really take it in production that easily. It's kind of like a competitor to the open source uh, package that Google uh, launched a couple of years back called Causal Impact. Um, interestingly enough, Media mixed modeling is not what Robin does. It actually what Robin does or the framework Facebook launched um, is a causality model um, is a causality model, which is quite close to what we're doing, I would say. Um, now, maybe to start by kind of I, I came up with the distinction of media mixed modeling versus uh, causality, incrementality measurement. 
Media mix modeling basically requires you, the marketer, to onboard a lot of data, okay? Um, anything about your product and pricing, information about your competitors, any media you upped, lowered budget spent for at least 12 months of data. Like you cannot really do media mix modeling with a short uh, amount of data or short time in terms of uh, data. Now, what media mix modeling helps you answer is what will happen if I do this? What will happen if I increase my span of Facebook? What will happen if I launched campaigns on podcasts during a high season? It really allows you to do scenario plannings of what if um, everything needs to be tested and validated and you use this data to recalibrate uh, your media mix modeling. Now, media mix modeling is not really a software product. It's a, yeah, of course you can softwareize or productize anything, but it's a very much per uh, company because you need to input your specific uh, data. Uh, you need to understand what your competitors are doing at the, your best uh, knowledge or best estimation. You need to include macro um, uh, macro elements and so on, but it's, it's a very good tool to help you understand or ask the question, what will happen if I do this? What causality does and what Robin does and what incremental does is help you answer a different question. Um, what would have happened if I didn't do that? So um, it's basically about understanding kind of like a what is called a retrospective prediction uh, because you're going back in time and trying to understand what wouldn't have what would have happened if I didn't start this campaign, didn't increase this bid, didn't increase this budget, didn't start this channel and so on. Now, Facebook's Robin is quite interesting because it's uh, it's kind of like a weird combination. So it gives you the framework, um, like an auto selector for hyper parameters. So it basically listens to your data and then it will know what weighting to give different parameters in order to create some sort of a prediction, but it's not a off the shelf product. Uh, you can't just take it and make it work. Uh, uh, yeah, so that's a little bit about Robin versus Media Mix versus uh, causality. Right. I think in, there's a, a lot of great points to unpack there. I think my sense is that the reason that they're pushing Robin is they want people to recognize that they're 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 delivering more conversions from their Facebook ads, Facebook ad spend specifically than they're seeing represented in like their Facebook data, right? And so like this is just like oh okay, well we implement this into our data stack that'll that'll show that um but you're right like this is this is a this is an r package that you need to you need like this this takes integration work it's not an off-the-shelf tool what i think what i think they're probably going to do though is build an off-the-shelf tool right um that integrates this um you know my sense mm -hmm. is that well but they've been talking about the conversions api right so a lot and the conversions api is not compliant with att if they pass any identifying data back but what, you know, if, if the app sends that to Facebook or the, or the, the product, but if they receive all that data in an anonymous way, they get all the conversions data, um, then they can start to do something like this, uh, you know, that, that allows them to show the impact of the Facebook ad spend. Now, if they then are able to also get the advertiser to send them all ad spend across all channels, <laughs> yeah. then they could actually, you know, and, and you would want, you'd want to, as Facebook, you'd want to, you'd want to build that kind of like dashboard for, Hey, well, this is how all your media spend is. And yeah. by the way, we're, we're, uh, we're the most efficient, right? Um, 
you know, that, that would be ideally what they are able to do. Now, now whether they can do that because they're not an unbiased party is a different question, but if they could, they would want to, right? That would make, that would make a lot of sense. Look, I think so. I actually wouldn't see necessarily Facebook building such a unbiased attribution product and thinking that it will work. Like Facebook has been offering free attribution for many years and no one, I don't know anyone that's been using it. Um, I think that they would, again, outsource this to the market to build tools. For sure, I think that there is an incentive for Facebook, but maybe here the incentive is actually aligned with what advertisers are hoping for. It means if Mm-hmm. The product eventually allows Facebook to push the media to you that is creating the most incrementality. Why not? Okay. Right. As lo- uh, the question is, what's Facebook's Robin's definition of incrementality? Like I would say for, for incremental, incrementality means whatever you as the advertiser define as value KPI. So it could be install, subscription, revenue, profit, whatever event you want to measure. If the, if the, Basically, if the package is skewed towards Facebook's incentive, then it's not really the most fair. But again, I would say Google's been offering Google um, Causal Impact, which is also an open source R package. Again, anyone who is a data science can be using, um, which is quite useful for anyone building such a tool. I would say it's, it's hard for a single advertiser to build such a tool because it's kind of like a Tesla car. Like, you know, anyone can build one car and eventually it could become autonomous if it learns every scenario but if you if you build a network of cars that teach each other that's a bit more useful so i think that facebook's robin is not really targeted towards advertisers i think it's targeted towards technology companies yeah um well yeah and and that's the thing it's like these these packages aren't uh you know they're not so unique i mean there's there's tons of these that exist um there's a great overview uh of of this kind of approach to just measurement not not even not even advertising measurement but just causal uh causal inference um it's on a website called towardsdatascience.com and the title of the article is implementing causal impact on top of tensorflow probability so if you just do a search for implementing causal impact on top of tensorflow probability on towards data science you'll find it and 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 it's just a tutorial how to how to how to implement this kind of system. Um, I don't believe it was for marketing. Oh, no, it was. Uh, but anyway, you could roll your own and people have. I mean, this is not a new idea, but um, I just want, I want to talk about media mix modeling for a second though, because what's interesting about this is, you know, we're, we're talking about this approach in the context of, you know, a dramatic, um, a, a sort of dr- dramatic uh, ecosystem change that was catalyzed by a single platform operator right so like we had this 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 environment of like unfettered access to individual level data and we lost that and so you know we've got to throw out all the measurement models and and sort of you know build something new but media mix models are not new at all they're very old in fact i mean like they're you know in 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 you know sort of like cpg companies and and just sort of like big brands have been using yeah it's pretty much the only thing they've been using Right. And, and, and it's funny because like you were talking about, you know, the sort of exogenous factors that that also get included in these types of models. And I was working with um, I did a project for like a big uh, CPG company and we were kind of walking through their model. And so, first of all, they, they had a media mix model. Right. And they just did sort of like, you know, regional level sales as an input. Right. So like not even like, you know, city level, but like, you know, Southwest. Right. And, and Pacific Northwest. And and then um, 
you know, they, but they had a lot of really interesting, like they had CPI data, not cost per install, but consumer price index, right? Uh, different CPI. Yeah. They, had, yeah. they had gas prices, like they, anything that kind of like accounted, like that controlled for, for inflation. They included that, right? And then, um, you know, and then, oh, sorry, the sales, the sales numbers were, were kind of like the, the sort of the independent variable, but like the, um, you know, and then everything else, the inputs were just like, well, the marketing spend in these different regions and blah, blah, blah. And so it, it was very interesting to, to think about that, you know, in, in the context of like media attribution, which is very far removed from like what, what I have ever, you know, thought to be relevant in, in terms of attribution, because it was just real time. Like inflation wasn't really, at, you know, it, it wasn't Yeah, you don't relevant. think about it. Yeah. Well, especially because I, I don't, you know, I've never sold packaged goods either. It's, it's, I've always sold digital products, right? So there's no, there's no, there's no component of inflation in like the production cost, right? Because it's, you know, just digital. Um, there is, take, take a, so again, it's like take a Russia a couple of years ago when the whole sanction started and the ruble basically was cut in half versus the dollar. Right. It, so that's a macro, uh, like macro uh, input that you could consider in a media mix modeling if you are a mobile app developer. But you could also look at things like the app store change, uh, you know, a couple of years ago from top charts to whatever it is today with the featuring and so on. Like, I think that my point is always when it comes to last touch versus causality versus media mix, it's not an either or. It's not that this one is better than this one. It's like all of them are just as good as one or the other. And a sophisticated marketer will likely take good use of all of them. Um, it's not an either or deterministic or probabilistic. doesn't really matter. It's not a better or worse, I would say. A, a good marketer will likely need to use all three at some point. Um, and they might overlap, means you might want to look at media mix when you do your planning. Uh, you might look at causality on a monthly and a weekly basis as you make uh, changes. And as long as you can pull it off, you also probably are going to be using last touch attribution, whether if it's a probabilistic or deterministic, to make real-time decisions like which creative is better than this, um, which creative. Typically, that's what you need. Right. Um, I want to switch gears quickly and, you know, for the last, uh, quickly and abruptly, and for the last kind of 10 minutes, I want to talk about um, TV and connected TV, because I feel like one weird consequence of, of, of ATT and, and this whole sort of like privacy disruption and, and the ecosystem disruption is like, you've got people going back to TV. And it, it, it always felt like I, you know, I've worked at a number of, of companies where like, you know, the light bulb went off and someone's like, we should do TV. We should, you know, that's, we have never done that. And we, you know, I know we can do it and, and we modeled it all out and, you know, you can make the case for it, you know, kind of based on some assumptions that, you know, were sort of like untested and, and then you run the TV campaign and it was like, maybe it was like, okay, in certain geos, but for the most part it lost money and you never revisited it. Right. Um, you know, I, and, and I've never been at an organization where the CMO or, or, or I, had so much authority that I could just sort of like earmark $30 million for like a, such an extensive TV campaign that you'd actually kind of realize those assumptions uh, that are baked in, you know, the performance assumptions that are baked into the model. Um, you know, I've never been able to do the MZ thing either, where it's like, well, that's just a loss leader kind of to prime the pump for the, the, the in-app, uh, you know, uh, receptiveness. Anyway, but so it's, it's, I just think it's kind of weird that people are like, oh, well, we just try TV, try radio, like these things that have never really worked for any gaming company at scale, unless you have a, such a massive budget that you just sort of like flood the zone and then you drive up the click-through rates on the digital, which is the whole 
what that was the MZ approach, right? That was the MZ thesis, uh, which I think you know worked to some extent. So, what what do you think? So, I mean, I know that you know from an from an incrementality standpoint, it's like well, the inputs are we're pretty agnostic, right? Yep. Like let's just spend, let's just push ads, it. Ad spend. It's ad spend, right? Yep. But what do you, what do you think about this idea of like digital products kind of reverting back to like you know linear TV and or even connected TV and like these kind of these formats that you know they hadn't either either they had been tried but just sort of like superficially, or they just in some cases maybe just fundamentally don't work for digital products or or is that is that not the case? Is that the measurement the measurement was inappropriate for those types of formats? The formats can work, but they were disadvantaged because you were just looking at last click deterministic, and so people never really fully resourced that. What do you think about that? Like, is this is this a viable yeah, channel like for people? Yeah, and definitely we see in it, or like we're seeing that in a way ATT legitimized uh, the marketer's ability to go to their boss and say, hey, I'm going to test this thing and it's a lot of upfront on the creative and it's a lot more uh, complex in terms of logistics, but I think it might work. I see that it's basically legitimizing this uh, to happen. Obviously, I would say offline works. <laughs> it's like, uh, uh, but uh, we've always seen the, the point and going back to the incentive, it's really hard to sell. Hey, I'm gonna put like 50K just on the creatives um, when you have like one buck CPI on some random channel. It's really hard to go to your boss and convince them to do that. Now seeing it. And again, I think that other verticals take uh, FinTech for example, FinTech relied on a lot of offline in order to gain consumers trust. And same as a couple of years ago, we've seen like this migration of UA uh, from gaming shifting to non-gaming, uh, pretty much like the 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 um, like sophisticated slash experienced UA people. They're everywhere, everywhere now, and they probably had strong beliefs on like what we should try, but maybe they never had the legitimacy to actually do it. I am seeing it now. I'm seeing a lot of things that. Uh, Companies used to be a bit more conservative on take influencer marketing, for example. Like I've seen cases of where companies spend 50% of their budget on influencer marketing because it's fitting their demographics. I see the same now with TV. I see the same now with flyer delivery. Um, things that you wouldn't even consider in the past, but companies are trying it uh, because you know, you're going to try, you're going to land basically somewhere where your competitors are not. You will get incremental value as a result. Yeah. Right. No, I've seen, I mean, there's been a massive shift in budget towards influencer um, from what I've seen, you know, Look, it's like Telegram, like, like Telegram, Telegram started uh, offering ads with a ridiculous uh, pricing sheet and a mil million euro deposit. And you lose the deposit if you let spend less than 10 million. And of course, everybody's joking about this because this is ridiculous. On the other hand, whoever will be the first five, 10 advertisers on right. Telegram, they're going to get the value back. Yeah, yeah. Like it's a new medium. No one's yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's um, you know, we did this event. We, you were there, I think, at the LTV greater than CPI event that we did in Berlin, like, yeah, six, seven years ago or something. Um, and we had uh, my friend Christian Calderon came to present, and he had, uh, was the head of UA at DOTS. And uh, DOTS is like a match three uh, just puzzle game. And he was talking about Twitter and Twitter had like this new ad product, right? And it was, you know, just that they had first rolled out the, um, the mobile app install ad product. And, and he was based in New York. So he had like kind of a close relationship with the ads team there because it was all Mopub uh, out, of, uh, out of New York. And they were like the first 
the first big advertiser in into that into that unit and they just they had you know they they had kind of like total total sort of ownership of that and they generated something like you know 10 million installs in like <laughs> three months at like some dirt cheap see because they're first right it's just first mover advantage um, and then they had to back out of it after it got more expensive. And now, you know, Twitter has never really been um, a viable channel for app installs, I don't think, since then. But, but yeah, it was just the first one. And they, that, that, that built a big substantial part of the business was built on that initiative, like just that finding that exploiting that that kind of undiscovered resource right until it became discovered and then the, the prices normalized and they had to back away from it. But like that built, yeah. I think they got like their big, their big funding round came on the back of that and it kind of built the business. Um, okay. This has been a great discussion. I want to just hear more about what you're excited about. Like, what do you see coming next six months? Like, what are you, uh, what are you excited about? What do you think is going to be important? What do you think is going to dominate marketers, uh, uh, you know, sort of uh, mental energy for the next six months to a year? Well, again, I'm biased, but definitely I see that incrementality is gaining popularity. It's like I'm, I'm in an amazing position that I've never really experienced. Like uh, I'm not de- doing any reach out myself, um, but the inbound is just growing and growing and growing. It's uh, always cool to see companies kind of get it. Uh, and it's not easy. Again, I would say it's it's not as if measurement incrementality with the platform is difficult, but the mindset shift when companies see that, mm-hmm. wait a second, I... Uh, increased budget but everything is negative when my mmp is showing me positive what does this mean um it's always kind of seeing the uh, how people are starting slowly to understand it i am seeing a lot of inbound requests and interest and questions so people are getting it and i would say you know it's like of course i'm biased there but like starting incremental was not that i was just happened to run into an idea. This is kind of like the uh, summation of 20 years uh, living in this industry and being frustrated by the goods and the bads in it. So yeah, I am biased for sure. Yeah, because I remember we we had coffee and you were telling me about this idea like that had to be three years ago. We had coffee and you were saying, I think some of these ad networks are going to start doing attribution. And when that happens, you won't be able to trust these numbers at all. and, you know, cause right now you have, you know, and this is back then, like you have SANs doing it, but that's okay. That's, 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 that's fine. We know there's an overlap, but all the rest of it is still sort of like deterministic, but like once the ad networks start moving into this, there's no way. Right. And then, um, and then, well, what happened? App Love and bought adjust. Right. So like, it's, uh, it, you know, but that was part of the, you know, that was part of the ATT sort of uh, landscape change. But, but anyway, I mean, so you, your, your thinking back then was like, this isn't deterministic. This is where there's so much overlap. There's so much double counting. There's no way to yeah. dedupe it. Everyone's got their own sort of like, uh, you know, everyone's got their own sort of like purview in terms of what they can claim as an attribution and and the data to back it up, right? So this like why even why even try to continue this farce? Look, this this belief that customers have or advertisers or UA people have that when they look at a report and it says Google one million click, one thousand conversions, Facebook one million click, one thousand conversion, right. and thought that. These 1,000 conversions, these 1,000 users have nothing to do with one another. And it's as if Google right. is bringing me users from Venus and Facebook is, no, it's like the same users. It's like, right. look, Google, Google's market share globally is what, like 96%. So theoretically, yeah. 
You can just put your money on Google and you're fine. Right. Same yeah. goes for probably most of the channel. And if you're talking about programmatic as well, one DSP could theoretically reach every single user on the planet, everyone. Right. Um, so the fact that people are not getting the fact that it's not that the reports are wrong. The reports are right. That's what's interesting. It's the system is fine. It's just it's just broken by design. Right. Yeah. Right. And and um, you know you could say the same about Facebook. You could say the same about. And then when you talk about like category specific stuff, gaming. Any one of the gaming networks probably touches everybody. Yeah. Right. It's, they touch them at different times and different. You know, in different you know, places. And, 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 and so that that's what you're paying for. It's just like that total coverage. Um, but there's overlap, right. And that's, you know, but, but like the point that you made back then, which, which definitely informed my worldview is even more true now, because we don't even, you can't even pretend, you can't even pretend to, to measure these things anymore because Apple broke that. When I just got acquired by Apple Avenue, you know, some people in the industry were like pissed and put like a Facebook, po a LinkedIn post and so on. I thought this was you know, made a whole lot of sense both to adjust founder selling to and to uh, obviously to Aplavin as well. And I would say that in a way, it's kind of like a bit healthier when companies don't cling and claim to the fact that they're biased or not, because right. well, obviously you're not. Uh, yeah, so I would say we, we are definitely reaching a, another maturity level in the industry. Um the players, the sizes, the uh, the figures, the numbers. Um, yeah, this is going to only get uh, more complex now, and uh, marketers just need to be sophisticated in order to find where they can find the most leverage. Yeah, it's it's funny, you know, because like when I when I first started Mobile Dev Memo, I mean, it was essentially like a games blog because that was that was the totality of mobile advertising was gaming companies. And then, you know, you, I see the readership diversify over time because it's more and more of non-gaming app developers and then non-app advertisers. And now it's a lot of finance people, um, you know, it's, it's because, but because mobile advertising was like a backwater. It was some tiny little uh, category that no one cared about except for game developers. And now you, you had three companies go public last year. Yeah. in mobile advertising and and now okay well it's obvious facebook is basically a mobile advertising you know what i mean like so so it's very relevant just from like a uh you know public market standpoint um and there's there's interest in it from from that corner of you know society it's it's just very interesting to see see how this has grown into something that's not only like well relevant for app developers but there's all sorts of like you know hedge funds that care about it and big institutional investors and um, as a result of like the pretty rapid, you know, growth and, but also just the, the exposure to the public market. So, uh, Maurer, this was, this was great. Where, where can people find you? Where can people talk to you, learn more no. about what you're doing? LinkedIn, Maor Satra, Twitter, Maosa, easiest. And of course, incremental.com. Yeah, incremental.com and the mobile dev demo Slack channel, pretty active there as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm findable. Okay. Well, Maurer, uh, Thanks for the time. This is a great conversation and I wish you the Same best. Here. Same here. Thanks, Eric.